Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Noise. Let's talk about strength and humiliation. Now there's a huge disconnect the left has about what is the reality of how to run a country. So what do we expect from leaders of the country you reside in? And this isn't just about the United States, so to speak. It's a problem that every country in the world happens to need to consider. One of the top priorities, call it self-interest or selfishness, is actually to promote national pride and its own nation's values. Now that applies to this constitutional republic or communist China. Leadership, we can define it however we want. But from the recent days, I think not only have many politicians forgotten how to be a leader, they seem to have forgotten one aspect that makes a great leader. And that is upholding the founding values. So there's going to be five key people I want to talk about and centering around this idea of leadership. And these people are Trump, Xi Jinping, Joe Biden, Justin Trudeau of Canada, and George Washington. Now you might be wondering what these five people have in common, and they share more representation of values than they do actually associate themselves with, with each other. But it is through these five characters, let's call them that, that you get this clear idea as to what it means to be a leader. Now this is going to get to the interesting part. So let's start with Justin Trudeau. What happened to him as the Prime Minister of Canada was, well, Mr. Trudeau is what you will call a weak leader. He allowed two Canadians to get put on trial, Michael and Michael, and he pretty much did nothing about it. In the process, he appeases the CCP and made excuses for them. Did he get him or Canada any respect on the world stage? Not one bit. Lee Young, Consul General in Rio de Janeiro, took on Twitter on Sunday to slam the Canadian Prime Minister for what he calls the ruining of relationships between Canada and China. He calls Trudeau, quote, Boy, your greatest achievement is to have ruined the friendly relations between Canada and China and have turned Canada into a running dog of the U.S., spendthrift. Can you imagine how embarrassing it is to be called a boy as the head of the state of Canada? To be called a running dog for the United States by the CCP? This is what a lack of strength in leadership looks like. Now, strength doesn't always mean power, as power is corruptible, whereas strength is constructed. Strength can be military power, can be economic power, can be moral power. But this is the idea that the founding principles of the United States taught us, to be strong for the sake of being the protector of the world, not the invader. And I think Pompeo puts it really well. Strength deters bad guys. Weakness begets wars. But the question is, what is true strength? It's the ability to put the country's value first. I mean, America was built to be the land of the sanctuary, which is a term that is now being manipulated. But it originally was a sanctuary of freedom, of achievement, of exceptionality. It's to protect those people that live here. So only when a country can, be, can place its values first can they truly become prosperous enough to help other people. For example, we don't expect a person making $20,000 a year to contribute to a global support program, while we might expect someone making $1 million a year to do so. And just as we try not to place America as the last person in the world, as the core value trying to appease the others or help others, what we have to do is place America as the first person in the world. That way, when America is prosperous, it can help everybody. 
So being civil also doesn't mean weakness either, nor does it mean giving in to turn a blind eye towards evil. The lefts have pretty much deliberately distorted this. It seems that being civil at this point is just talking and not doing anything, and it's silly when it meets those who do it. The U.S. has always been known to use its strength to protect order and freedom in the world. And the CCP, by contrast, uses strength to establish brutality and killing. However, today's left is making the idea of strength about violence and police brutality, white supremacy, twisting the definition of a once sacred word. The ideal of, say, martial law, that idea brings fear into the congressmen's heads. And every little idea in the politics gets pondered by the politicians forever with no real actions taken. And just as past administrations failed to do much against the communist invasions. Now, our second character, George Washington, actually let's talk about all of the founding fathers. I think they had this vision, right? What is truly that kickstarted the path towards independence, well, a lot of it was the oppression from the British monarch. People in the colonies were suffering, so the idea was to establish a land where each person is free to do what they want that they think is right for themselves. In doing that together, we would contribute to a greater freedom and growth. Later, this idea has now been twisted by and, and morphed by progressivism to be this thing about self, selfishness or not being inclusive. Strength today becomes this ideal of inclusion, equity, and diversity. This directly extrapolates to the weakness of the current U.S. administration. Now let's compare and contrast our third and fourth character, Trump and Biden. On the issue of leadership, I think with strength alone, we see a huge difference. When Trump was in office, the Chinese diplomats would never disrespect the American side like that. Never would they attempt to call Trump a boy on Twitter as they did with Trudeau. Because they recognized the strength established by the Trump administration. Now Biden, on the other hand, in the first two months of his administration, North Korea has launched missile tests. We have, well, Trump was successfully managing North Korea. We have Biden calling Russia's leader, Vladimir Putin, a killer, worsening an already fragile relationship. And then we have Iran and China who signed multi-year deals with each other to make more problems for the U.S. And let's not even talk about Alaska, what took place there. Now, these disrespectful actions are just the beginning of four years of American last. From Secretary of State Blinken, we realize that this mindset of treating China as a competitor, not recognizing their position as an abuser of power, is not working for the U.S. at all. Blinken gave a speech from his EU partners. He emphasized his commitment from the United States to boost its alliances such as NATO and to urge that the, the need to confront the imminent threats posed by the CCP on both the military and non-military fronts. When it comes to the four biggest enemies of the U.S., Iran, China, Russia, and North Korea, Blinken recommended the following. First, strengthening alliances and the shared values that they hold together. And second, modernize alliance by, quote, improving our military capabilities and readiness, and taking an affirmative approach. Third, weave together broader coalitions of allies and partners. So yes, Blinken does stand with Trump's policy in some aspects. But however, from Biden's recent speeches and his meetings, especially displaying the stances towards the Chinese counterparts, we see a problem. That problem is, first, the Biden administration's report 
called Interim National Security Strategic Guidance, defines the CCP regime as a systemic competitor. But Blinken does not clearly answer the fundamental question of whether it is a state that's in-system, which is a rule-based international order, or out-of-system, a totalitarian alternative to a rule-based order. And it's not the U.S. wants China to become something that they wished China becomes. It's how China sees itself becoming what they their vision is. As they hold power, the CCP abuses power. And to me, they do not follow rules. So the U.S. has no grounds or any ways to tell the, the Chinese to actually develop in the way that they see it fits. And the U.S. has no sense of management of the CCP in this administration. So the second point is, who is the most threatening adversary or the enemy of the United States today? Is it the CCP or is it Russia? Well, judging from some of the Biden administration's statements and policies, there's a certain amount of contradiction or wavering stance that awaits further answers from Blinken. And the third point is, Blinken is still in this mindset of Cold War mentality of fighting a Soviet-style government, employing concepts that fail to work already appeasing, bribing, or as they call traits. But fourth, the point is that Blinken argued on one hand, quote, that Beijing's coercive behavior threatens our collective security and prosperity. And on the other hand, they still want to work with China in aspects such as climate change and health security. So there's an inherent contradiction between the two sides in his statements and self-evident yet Blinken doesn't even realize it. So this leads us to the talk about the fifth man, which is Xi Jinping, the leader of China. The position he has taken against Trump and Biden very differently. With Trump, we see that Xi Jinping is not showing his aggression, his abuse of power. As a CCP advisor puts it, there are three steps for a country to gain leadership. The first step is to display strength. The second step is to dare to use strength. For example, with this step, You have always been good to, say, your fellow employees, and you're good to everyone. So people think you're soft, and uh, so they want to bully you. What you do is you punish the person for bullying, or occasionally. So that establishes this dominance that people will think that you have a temper, and you look like a leader. And then the third step is to make good use of strength and not to fight everybody. So that is to say, you as the boss that holds strength and holds power, you shouldn't be picking fights everywhere. And the United States is a perfect perfect example of this, using strength whenever they see fit. And then everyone admires that their proper use of strength. Mao Zedong, on the other hand, the first Chinese CCP leader, has always been a bad user of strength. And of course, he sometimes lacks strength. But the characteristic of Mao Zedong is that he has a big temper. And he dares to use it whenever and to whoever. And he uses it indiscriminately, most of the time actually, so he's not respected in the end as he abused power. Now the CCP likes to think that they hold strength, but they don't. What they hold is power. Now they like power for things like military power, propaganda power, or civilian power, and they use that to persecute religious groups, ethnic minorities, and commit atrocities. This is not strength. This is a negative use of strength. So what does this say about America? Well, the country has always been recognized as using its strength well to power the uphold of justice, to power the peacekeeping, 
And when there are American first principles in place, the other leaders of the world knows how to respect the United States. But now Biden has placed America last. The world leaders also recognizes it, especially Xi Jinping, who has a bigger ambition than Mao Zedong. He wants to have the weak United States right now so that he can expand China. And we know when Trump was abusing him with the trade war policies, he was very angry, but he had nowhere to express his anger. Now that Trump is gone, who knows? Biden might be getting more than what he asked for. So what happens when America cannot protect its people? The governors have to. So yesterday's episode, we covered the vaccine passport, and apparently Joe Biden says he's not making it. But the administration's aiding efforts towards it is apparent. Honestly, this all sounds pretty vague to me, and I really doubt that he's not making this mandatory. But that's not the focus today. Today, we should talk about the two Republican governors again. Rob DeSantis, Florida's governor, recognized the potential for a COVID passport coming. So yesterday, he said that his administration will prevent businesses from denying customers who do not get the vaccine. Uh, It's completely unacceptable for either the government or the private sector to impose upon you uh, the requirement that you show proof of vaccine to just simply be able to participate in normal society. Amade DeSantis also signed into a law, a bill that protects businesses, governments, and healthcare providers in the state from COVID-19 lawsuits, given they can prove that they sufficiently followed guidelines to prevent transmission of the disease. Meanwhile, perhaps the biggest slap to the face for the left is how well Texas is doing since removing lockdown measures and fully reopening. On Monday, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, announced over a tweet that the seven-day COVID positivity rate, quote, reported, has dropped to 4.96%, and hospitalization remained low and fatalities dropped to a three-month low. Altogether, Texas has two million vaccine shots to administer this week. Get one. Shots are highly recommended to prevent getting COVID, but always voluntary. The last sign is super important, as the message should never be that we're mandatory with the, with the vaccine. It should always be those who want to get it, get it. Those who don't, don't force them to. And if we compare Michigan, a state with a Democrat governor who is all for mask mandates and strict lockdown measures, to Texas, we see a huge difference. While Texas is dropping its COVID rate, Michigan today becomes a new leader in rising COVID cases. According to Washington Post data, the seven-day average of new cases topped 63,000 for the first time in nearly a month, while states such as Michigan, Vermont, and North Dakota reported substantial spikes in new infections. The nation appeared poised for a fourth wave of illness even as vaccine eligibility is expanding in many states. Michigan led the nation in new cases with a 57% rise over the past week. The state, which relaxed COVID-related restrictions earlier this month, also reported the largest increase in coronavirus hospitalizations, which grew by more than 47%. Now here's the funny part. Michigan also relaxed its measures earlier this month, not to the full extent like Texas did with opening up 100%. While Texas has almost 30 million people, Michigan almost 10 million. With three times the population of Michigan, Texas somehow is doing better. So remember when everyone called Greg Abbott and Rob DeSantis the killers because of their so-called reckless decisions? Well, now you see the difference. It's a difference in human flourishing and how much they cherish human values. The idea is that we value human lives by living through experiences, not by preventing people with rules. 
by preventing them from going to live their lives. Remember, moral governing trumps all aspects of laws and rules. Speaking of that though, in San Diego, California, while the kids are forced to stay home and do online learning, the migrant facility at the San Diego Convention Center is hosting in-person classes for the immigrant children. According to the Daily Mail, some San Diego public school parents are angered over plans for teachers to provide in-person instruction to migrant kids, while their own kids remain stuck at home, slogging through virtual Zoom sessions. Teachers from the San Diego County Office of Education as well as other nonprofit organizations started providing educational services on Monday to some of the 500 minors who arrived from Texas and Arizona over the weekend. The girls whose age ranges from 13 to 17 are being sheltered at the San Diego Convention Center, which has been repurposed as a temporary overflow facility. So while your kids are getting ignored by their educators and education systems, and their growth is being hindered, and the country is being locked down, San Diego County is providing free education for illegal immigrants. Doesn't make sense to me. So here's what I think took place in the heads of the Democrat elected officials. Wow, we have a huge influx of illegal immigrants. Let's stick all of them in tight cells with zero consideration of the policy with COVID that we put in place, and then we give them a normal lives that they all deserve, like close contacts with friends, growth, teaching in person, and free integration into society. That's a great idea, right? Maybe you should do that for everybody. Oh, and there's also an, an uh, employment rating too. And then there's also the unemployment rate too. The February data shows th the top lowest unemployment rate, South Dakota ranked at number one at 2.9%, Utah at 3%, Nebraska at 3.1%, while the highest unemployment goes to Hawaii at 9.2%, well, probably because of the lack of traveling and tourism, and then New York follows suits with 8.9%. Huh, I wonder why and then Connecticut with 8.5%. So I wonder which states are doing better now, and is it the free states or the strictly controlled states? Now, in the most President Trump fashion, he launches the 45thoffice.com, which is an official website where Trump will likely be sending out press releases in the future, and then information about his agenda, but also serves as a transitional platform for him towards social media later this year. It's like a way for Trump to run the country as a civilian. And Trump on March 29th harshly criticized two of his top White House coronavirus task force advisors, calling Dr. Fauci the king of flip-flops and referring to Dr. Deborah Birx as a proven liar. The former president released a skything six-paragraph statements one day after CNN aired a documentary featuring interviews in which Fauci and Birx criticizes the Trump administration's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. Think, okay, had we mitigated earlier, had we actually paused earlier and actually done it, how much of an impact do you think that would have made? Well, I look at it this way. The first time we have an excuse, there were about 100,000 deaths that came from that original surge. All of the rest of them, in my mind, could have been mitigated or decreased substantially. Trump said, quote, based on their interviews, I felt it was time to speak up about Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, two self-promoters trying to reinvent history to cover for their bad instincts and faulty recommendations, which I fortunately almost always overturn. They have had policy decisions that would have left our country open to China and others, close to reopening our economy 
and years away from an approved vaccine, putting millions of lives at risk. Thanks for watching tonight's episode. Thanks once again for watching Beyond the Noise. Have a wonderful evening. See you tomorrow.